Hi there and welcome to the show. My name is Tim and our guest today is John Lefevre from HandDrinksSolo.com. That's right. It's a pop culture wine blog. Very exciting. So, Jono, how's it going today? It's, uh, it's an honor to, to be here. Yeah, I'm hoping that uh, I can share a little bit about what excites me about wine. I mean, the reason, I guess, actually, I suppose you don't know why you have a wine blog, right? It's quite a weird thing to do. But hopefully by the end of it, we figure out where the passion lies and, and what I think is so incredibly exciting about wine in South Africa. Awesome. So why don't we kick things off? Tell us a little bit about what HandDrinkSolo.com is all about, how it started, and what people can expect to see if they visit the website right now. So I, um, for 10 years, I have been, uh, well, I founded and I run a, a specialty coffee roastery. If you're looking for somewhere to drink coffee, we did just win best coffee roastery in South Africa. So that is Rosetta Roastery. But that's a story for another day. I have been in, in coffee for 10 years, and it's, it's very much a sensory, serious kind of thing. You're talking about bergamot and citrus and acidity and balance and finish. And it's a super pretentious field. And my place in it has always been trying to shake off the pretension, but at the same time, like being fascinated by really boring stuff. So like organic chemistry, acidity, sweetness, balance, like what happens when you cook a green insoluble bean and you make it brown and then soluble and then you add hot water and then these amazing flavors come out. So that whole thing has always fascinated me. And then I had kids and started drinking heavily. So you know, you know how it goes, right? <laughs> that really is how it went. And, and I realized that from nonchalantly going, well, coffee can be like wine and really not knowing very much about wine. I remember in one particular interview for a local magazine, I said something about how coffee is just like wine. And I made some bizarre comment about a Merlot. I think I said a Merlot being, you know, something a really, a really full-bodied tannic wine like a Merlot because I thought that was the truth. <laughs> and I was wrong. And I felt like such an idiot like after that. And I thought, I don't really want to feel like an idiot. Maybe I should start looking into this wine thing, seeing as I was casually drinking it. And um, just went like, whoa, these parallels go deeper than I could have possibly thought. And actually, there's, you know, there's too much to talk about there. But, but it, so it's, it kind of sucked me down like Alice in Wonderland, down the rabbit hole. And I realized this, this entire field with a far deeper sense of history than coffee has, but with all the same kind of sensory and organic chemistry attributes. And so I found myself almost like torn between these two. And I'm still torn. I do coffee all day and I do wine all night. So I kind of got into it out of my love for coffee and sensory and organic chemistry and smell and taste and then realized that there's a, there's a far bigger world in wine and that I wanted to explore that. I was checking out the blog earlier today and one thing I found really interesting was that even though there's a lot of great information about wine for newbies and seasoned wine drinkers, there's also a lot of really interesting humor and fun in your blog. So for example, I, I see pop culture references to films, to music, and it's, it's something really unique and something really interesting because I, I couldn't help laugh at a lot of the references there. Tell us more about what that's about. I was saying earlier how sometimes the pretension can turn people off. With coffee, I got so excited about the product, but realized that a lot of people were even too scared to set foot in our roastery. One old lady said, I'm never bringing my husband here. His jeans are not skinny enough. And I realized like that happens with wine all the time in that people almost, they don't want to say anything. I run wine tastings where I get people into my home and then I ask people, what do you taste? 
people are terrified to talk. It's usually by about the fifth wine when everyone's just chilled out a little bit. Then people start talking. But I was like, why are they so slow or scared to say something wrong? And I really want to get rid of that as soon as possible. The sooner you realize you're wrong, the sooner you can learn. So the whole tone of the blog is trying to say, hey, look, none of us are geniuses here. And the more I can make fun of myself or my references, the more comfortable I think readers will be to go, okay, this is a place that's not, first of all, it's not pretentious. And second of all, it's not snobby. People say, I'm a wine snob or I'm a coffee snob. Like, why would you want to claim that for yourself? A snob looks down on other people instead of sharing joy with other people. So that's kind of the pop culture thing is everyone loves movies. Everyone loves music. If I can reference that, if I can tap into your love for Mickey Mouse while sipping on Wooded Sauvignon Blanc, then heck, you almost forget that you were supposed to be serious and you can have fun with it. So for me, that's partially just a natural passion and partially uh, something that everyone's watched Mary Poppins, right? But not everyone has drunk a 20-year-old Bordeaux. So if you can reference one to the other, maybe there's a way that people can feel more comfortable talking about it. Well, I guess that's the interesting thing about the wine industry, right, is uh, if I think of the film Som 2, Into the Bottle, you can watch the film for an hour and a half and they tell you about a whole bunch of aspects of the wine industry and the history and how it's made and you can experience everybody's passion throughout the film and so forth. And everybody has their opinion and it's always interesting hearing different opinions. For example, in the film they'll say, one of the, the guys will say, well, you know, Chardonnay is such a flavorsome wine, it should be consumed on its own it shouldn't be paired with food and then the next person will say well chardonnay is such a beautiful wine with so many flavors it's a perfect food pairing so there's all these different opinions and i like what they say at the end of the film if i remember correctly that ultimately we're talking about fermented grape juice here at the end of the day it's about pleasure it's about joy it's about being with people and enjoying the wine for what it is so i think that's what's coming through in your blog and and it's great to see that and i guess everybody should go and check it out right now but Let's talk a little bit about the wines that we're drinking today. At the moment, we are tasting a really lovely Sauvignon Blanc Semillon blend. Tell us a little bit about that. So we're, we're drinking the Strontfeldt Adamaster 2016 Wooded Sauvignon Blanc Semillon blend. So I first discovered this wine at Wine Mag, uh, released their top 10 Sauvignon blend wines of the year, and I, I was attending the tasting. Uh, and it was just one that stood out to me as being particularly representative of it's terroir. Okay, so now that's probably one of the most pretentious things we've heard all week. But what I mean by all that is that it just, it was so different. It wasn't necessarily better than, and in fact, I think there were other wines that were better, but it, it was so distinctive. I mean, the, the saline, the savory notes, the crazy elderflower, which, you know, I've, I've talked about like this kind of elderflower reference in Sauvignon Blanc, which I've always associated only with the old world, this mystical, you know, these herbal Sauvignon Blancs that we'll never grow because our climate is too warm. And to have your mind blown and go, South Africa has got some crazy cool climate regions that are producing these insane old world style wines right on our doorstep. And it's like South Africa at 350 years of winemaking. We are the oldest of the new world. And it kind of puts us in pole position for being the most interesting wine region in the world because we've got the tradition of the old world. We've got the kind of go get it uh, attitude, you know, where we can break the rules and do what we want because we're technically new world. And then we produce a wine like, like uh, Strontfeldt's Adamaster, which has just got waves of fruit and clever use of oak. And it's just got everything in there. What, one thing I will say about it is it's not at all easy drinking. You're not going to casually sip this in the jacuzzi because there's so much going on. It's got this gorgeously elegant acidity, Oak is not invisible. It's, it's very deliberate, the, the use of oak, even though it's only had 10 months. So for me, you know, saying 
what am I enjoying? I think I just enjoy that it feels like an education in a bottle. You sip on it and you go, what on earth am I tasting? And you have to ask questions about how the wine is made you know, and how it's blended. And for me, what I do with the blog is if a wine can educate me just by tasting it, like that's fascinating. So I want to ask questions. I want to go, how long was it in oak? How did they do that? What was the butternage? What, were they stirring up the leaves? What on earth were they doing? And so that's why I chose this one because there's just so much to talk about. So I was going to say, you should ask me some questions since you're drinking it as well. Well, I'm glad we're drinking a, a white wine to start off today. So just to repeat the uh, wine, it's a Strandfeld Vineyards Adamaster. It's a Sauvignon Blanc Semillon Blend 2016. So it's made and bottled by Strandfeld Vineyards in Elam, South Africa. Is that correct? Which is close to Cape Agalhas. And what's really nice about this is the blend is interesting. It's Sauvignon Blanc 54% and Semillon 46 So a nice even balance. You often find that the blends are either 75%, Sauvignon Blanc 25%, Semillon all the other way around. So often, you know, three quarters of one of them. But it's nice to see a almost 50-50 split. Interestingly enough, I've become quite fond or grown quite fond of the, uh, the white wines. I, I guess typically I was a red fan. But uh, living in the Constantia area and appreciating the cool climate and the white wines that are produced there, I've really, you know, started to enjoy my my, my white wines, I guess. So I'm really enjoying this. Uh, did we talk about what was on the nose here? I was talking earlier about that, um, about the elderflower on the nose, which for me, I mean, obviously there's not just the fruit, there's the secondary stuff as well. But just that reference to elderflower, I think is is incredible because it's not something that's super readily detected on South African Sauvignon Blancs. Often what we drink is a, is a slightly warmer climate and we reference pineapples and we reference like at best cut grass and gooseberries. If it's going to be a Constantia Sauvignon Blanc, perhaps it's going to be that more gooseberry cut grass herbal element. But as I was saying earlier, I've always associated that elderflower kind of herbal sweet element as being a totally old world thing. So for me, that's amazing. And then to add in the complexity of what is almost like a toasted, um, well, like a piece of bread, a piece of toast. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like a toasted piece of bread. Yeah, But the lovely like oak inference that comes through fascinates me. People are always trying to hide oak and minimal intervention or that which is going down. And we can talk about that with the red wine. I enjoy, if you're going to use oak, heck, use oak. Like, I want to know about it, and and I think that's what I love about this is that it's not a it's not a wine trying to be on trend. It's a wine trying to express its region and its winemaking practice. It's not trying to hide anything, and I think that's kind of what makes it so elegant. Obviously, we we're looking at the Adamaster from Strandfeld today, or Strandfeld, as the Americans would say, Strandfeld. But while we're on whites, are there any other whites that are in heavy rotation at this point in time of noteworthy mention? Uh, the Cape Vineyards Islay, or Islead, if you want to pronounce that, it's, it's, it is Islay, but it's spelt I-S-L-E-I-D-H, is a blend from Cape Point Vineyards, also a wooded Bordeaux white blend, is probably the highlight of, of last year for me as far as wines in general go. And I think that's funny, you were saying earlier, you drink mostly red wines, and but you've been getting into your whites. I would say the same thing, probably... 65% of what I drink is red. And yet, if I were to list the best 10 wines I've had over the last five years, probably the top five would be white. Wow. When, when South African white wines are good, I think they are some of the best in the world. So some that I've discovered recently, I would say that Cape Point's Islay is up there. Highland Road from Elgin 
have produced a Cinecera, which is another um, white Bordeaux blend with some oak in there. Cinecera spelled C-I-N-E-S-E-R-A. And Elgin generally as a region is incredibly exciting. If you're shopping internationally and you're looking for white wines to explore, you must hunt down stuff from Elgin, E-L-G-I-N, and Elam. So the other wine, white wines that are exciting me enormously are David Nevo's Sauvignon Blancs. He's got a Ghost Corner Sauvignon Blanc, and he's got a Wild Ferment Sauvignon Blanc. I mean, he's just killing it. So he is the winemaker from Cedarburg, but he also has chosen to make a range of wines called Ghost Corner, which is exclusively from Elam. And I think he's one of the finest winemakers in South Africa at the moment. So if we were to just quickly list four, uh, to sum it up, Highland Road Sinicera, the Cape Point Islay, and then two of David Nevo's, the Ghost Corner Sauvignon Blanc and the Wild Ferment Sauvignon Blanc. And obviously this Adamaster from Strandfelt would make a nice round five. All right, so it's time for us to move on to our red wine of the day. And we are tasting the Arensuch Shiraz Block A12 red wine. So Jono has poured this for us and we've had a bit of a taste. Jono, tell us more about this uh, wine. I chose this wine specifically because the philosophy uh, annoys me. And, and you, have to, you have to just give me, give me a few minutes here because otherwise you're going to tune out and think I'm saying bad things about Orenzich and I'm not. What, what I um, often object to in the new very trendy minimalist intervention, only natural wines, no sulfites, only old oak, neutral vessels, neutral flavor, neutral everything. I'm like... Can we just make some wine? Like, there's so much tradition. Why are we trying to rebel against it? And the minimal intervention school is rife with people like rebelling against a past for no reason other than for the sake of rebelling. And, and to me, that, that kind of angst, I'm like, I don't need that in my wine. I don't want angst in my wine. So, Arnsuch are actually, they, they are some of the leaders in South Africa for minimal interference or, or minimal, inter, like, a, sorry, I said minimal intervention or minimal interference. And sometimes I find these wines, not Arensuch specifically, but wines can be like, wow, it's so minimal, you almost forgot to make the wine. It's like, what have we got here? We've got some weird tasting fruit juice. There's no tannins. There's no alcohol. There's no, it's like, you know, like, wow, it's so minimal. It's, it's not even. So as a school of thought, which is very cool right now, so I'm aware that saying this makes me sound super uncool, and I'm sure the fashion wine police will be at my door, but... It's a concept that I find problematic, but if you're going to be a good journalist, if you're really going to do your job in your field, you have to engage with the things that you don't necessarily like. So I bought this wine, having never tasted it, in order to challenge my own preconceptions. And as we were saying earlier, it's an incredible Shiraz. That's like the ultimate win. And we were saying earlier, if you really want to get the best out of South Africa as a wine territory... You have to constantly challenge your own preconceptions. And partially because of what I was saying earlier, people come from Europe to South Africa thinking, oh, the new world, the new world. We've been making wines for 350 years. We've got plenty of old world in us. Also think, oh, South Africa, it's hot, it's dry. We've got some amazing cool climate regions. And, and we are so varied that honestly, you have to be ready to be surprised. In my blog writing, I would, 10 times out of 10, choose a wine I've never had before over a wine that I know that I'll, I've, I've had and love because it means the chance to experience something new. So this Ardenseach Block A12 Shiraz is an insane example of a minimalist intervention wine 
that still delivers incredible concentration. For those of you who, I don't know, maybe you're not that familiar with minimal intervention, it's almost like some guys are too, too afraid to even look at the grapes in case they scare it into like producing some tannins or something. So they treat them super gently and they only use free run juice and they don't press anything. And they, it's almost like they are it's like giving the grapes gentle massages prior to harvest or whatever to make sure that, you know, they don't get bruised. And the end result is often a very soft, very gentle, very light, very neutral wine. And Orenzoch have shown me today, at least, that you can produce a concentrated, really imposing red wine that is also beautifully soft at the same time. So I guess it's kind of thanks for teaching me a sensory lesson. And I can't recommend this A12 enough. Yeah, I like what you say about challenging your, your preconceptions. And uh, I guess if I think about a Pinotage wine, for example, Pinotage is unique to South Africa. And many South Africans have consumed a lot of Pinotage over the years and often just view it as a, you know, cheap wine. And often they'll say, oh, you know, Pinotage, I've, you know, whatever, Pinotage, give me something else. And uh, often they they don't realize actually how exquisite some Pinotages can be. And when they taste a really high quality one, it, you know, it changes their whole perception of, of Pinotage. And it's interesting seeing tourists coming to South Africa, tasting high quality Pinotages and really just being completely blown away. And so it just shows you that challenging your preconceptions is a really important part of exploring South African wines. If we look at the Shiraz that we're tasting now from Arensoch, it's quite different to say the Crud Constantia Shiraz. I find that the Crud Constantia Shiraz, for example, to be quite full-bodied, quite heavy. It's a, it's a, it's a very powerful wine. Whereas this, this Shiraz is, a, it's, it's actually very different. It's, it's very different to that, to that Crud Constantia wine. So uh, even for myself, my, my preconceptions have been challenged even just exploring Shiraz. And we were chatting earlier about Syrah and, and, and Shiraz. Tell us a little bit more about how you see the difference between the two and your opinion on classifying Shiraz versus Syrah. To be clear, I formed, as a journalist, I formed my views based on what I see in South Africa. So in Australia, everything is Shiraz. In France, everything is Syrah. In South Africa, again, because we're such a fascinating mixture of you know, grabbing from wherever, the most prominent distinction I see is that often a lower, <clears throat> more accessible, made-to-be-drunk-young type wine will be called Shiraz. It's also a term that is it's very accessible. It's probably more familiar to the South African public than Syrah. And Syrah is often reserved for more expensive, more premium reserve style wines. So to be clear, genetically, it is the exact same thing. It's not even identical twins. It's the same person. It's like, like this is Brian from Benoni and he is Shiraz and Syrah at the same time. I suppose it's more like, you know what it is? It's Bruce Wayne and Batman. It's like asking who has the better haircut, right? It's the same guy. It's not even like twin brothers. It's the same guy. So Struntfelt, who we spoke about earlier, have a Syrah. And that Syrah is their flagship red, where they also have a lower-tiered first-sighting Shiraz. Same grape, same, same exact clone, but one is a Shiraz, which is a supermarket range, which is insane value and you should find it. And the other is a far more expensive and also far more sensory, it's like a sensory adventure, but that's their Strandfeld Syrah. So for me, the difference in South Africa, I think people almost, it's almost no one even argues about it anymore. If it's expensive and fancy, you call it Syrah. If it's cheap and accessible, you call it Shiraz. All right. So in terms of this uh, Orange Shiraz, 
Can we describe just a little bit of what you're picking up on the nose, what you're picking up on the palate? I'm quite interested to hear you talk about that. So the most common elements you'd probably expect from a South African Shiraz specifically is an element of pepper and an element of ripe black fruit. And really it's the kind of ratio of those two which will, um, I mean, putting it in simplest terms, will, will define what kind of Shiraz you're getting. And this particular one has got this amazing hint of clean white pepper, but also some fairly ripe blackberry fruit. And I think it's that lovely contrast of ripe fruit with, with stark spice. And there's an ever so subtle hint of non-fruit flavors, what you would call secondary, which is the result of winemaking. Now, I really don't want to upset the guys at Orensach and say that I smelt anything other than just pure fruit because that's what the minimal intervention guys taste. But I think there's an ever so subtle hint of an oakiness to it. Yes. So, and that, but sorry, just to go back on minimal intervention, that's kind of why I object to that school of thought because what it says is like, unless you're tasting fresh fruit and fruit only, then you've done something wrong. And oak is an additive and people are messing up wine with oak. Whereas I feel like the history of oak and wine is so, is so entrenched that it is part of what the wine experience is. So to sum it up, tiny bit of oak, lovely layers of concentrated black fruit on the nose, even some lavender floral elements and what makes a Shiraz a Shiraz, some white um, pepper spice. But the spice in no way overwhelms the fruit. The fruit is the main player here. Great. Well, there we have it. John Lefever from Hand Drink Solo, trying out a white and a red wine today. You can check out his blog at handdrinksolo.com. And uh, any, any last messages, any last, uh, you know, anything you want to tell the, the folks out there? We were talking about Pinotage earlier, and I'm working on a, a feature called Wine as Seen on TV, because I noticed, I was watching an episode of The Green Arrow, though that don't judge me, but I watched an episode of The Green Arrow, and in this nightclub scene, in the background was two oceans, Sauvignon Blanc, uplining the shelves of this nightclub in, in this episode of The Arrow. And I'm also part of a number of international Vivino groups, or WhatsApp groups, or chat groups, and guys will often send me like wow i just found the south african wine it's amazing and you look at it and you're like oh that's pinotage specific like oh that's wow that's really entry level but they got it in europe somewhere and paid four times the price and that is what pinotage is to them you know and it's like the chocolate pinotage or the coffee pinotage or the where it's like you like you don't even know or like what they did well you do know but you you know you don't want to talk about really all they can say is like i can taste coffee and chocolate and you're like yeah but can you taste wine a lot of the wines that get exported are, we have no idea how much wine gets that we've never heard of that gets exported. And, uh, you know, out of kind of Wellington and Robertson and, and those regions. And that is often what people experience of South African wine. So if people are listening internationally, you have to know that there is a huge spectrum of slightly more expensive South African wines that are amongst the best in the world. And that regularly international wine writers are praising these wines as some of the most groundbreaking wines that are being produced, especially in the new world. So if you are a wine lover internationally, go to a specialist store. Don't buy the cheapest South African wine. Take a step up and realize that South Africa is a producer of fine wines. Our perception internationally, and this is a big problem, is that we're on, on a level with Chile and Peru for great, great kind of bargain bin wines, like, oh, great value. And what guys are not seeing is that you've got producers who are 
amongst the best in the world. You've got Groot Constantia, who produced Chardonnays that are finishing in the Chardonnay du Monde, like best Chardonnay in the world. You've got uh, people like uh, Andrea Malino from, from Malino Wines, M-U-L-L-I-N-E-U-X, who was last year's wine enthusiasts, or two years ago, wine enthusiasts, international winemaker of the year. Samantha O'Keefe from Lismore Wines, who is producing you know, a, a Shiraz, 2014 Shiraz, was one of the top 20 reds in the world. You've got Kleiner Zelzer, their family, Cabernet Sauvignon, who's been listed by Decanter as one of the most exciting New World Reds. You've got South African wines who are literally topping the charts around the world, not just in South Africa, not as a value proposition, but as an out-and-out quality solution. And, and I think the perception of South African wines needs to change from, in inverted commas, great value to just great and that's something that, that I'd love to see. And I know a lot, of, a lot of South African journalists are pushing to see us progress beyond a value proposition into just pure meritas. Great. Well, thanks for joining us today, John Lefever from Hand Drink Solo. And if any of the listeners would like to get in touch, what's the best email address for them to contact you on? J-O-N-O at J-L-F co.za but instagram is also great especially you just it's easy to interact my handle is john olef so j-o-n-o-l-e-f you can find all the hand drink solo images and links to the blog thanks for listening and cheers take care everyone